0: Welcome to Mint, the podcast dedicated to making spiritual things practical. My name is Aminta Geisler, and I'm excited to spend the next few minutes with you, talking about God's Word and applying it to real-life situations. The goal of this podcast is to inspire you and equip you to run the race of faith well, one practical step at a time. Because just like a weight is useless, if a person doesn't pick it up and do the workout— So faith will be useless if a person doesn't do the work of putting their spiritual knowledge into action. Together, let's go beyond learning into implementing, one practical step at a time, and let's grow stronger in our faith. I recently had the privilege of meeting today's guest at the She Speaks conference, and let me tell you, she's beautiful both inside and out. I was captivated by her story, and I know you will be too. After losing her mom, and her sister to cancer, Nikki herself was diagnosed with cancer. Amidst all the grief and while undergoing treatment, she set out to find the abundant life that we are promised by Jesus. Her new book, which releases tomorrow and is already available, is called Breathe Again, How to Live Well When Life Falls Apart. I started reading it on the plane and I couldn't put it down. I literally read it cover to cover before my plane landed. Breathe Again is authentic, it's funny and it's full of practical tips for learning to thrive no matter what life throws at you. Our guest today, Nikki Hardy, is a speaker, a writer, a loving wife, and mom of three. Her work has appeared in Christian Today and a host of other media outlets. Today Nikki's going to share her story as well as practical tips for learning how to thrive, not just survive when life hands us a painful season. Her mantra, which I personally love, is that life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full, and it will change the way you navigate hardship. So welcome to the show, Nikki. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to share your story and your book with our audience. So, I'm just going to pray really quick with our listeners before we begin. Jesus, thank you for who you are and all you are. Will you send your spirit to be with us to give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts that are brave enough to love you more. Amen. Well, Nikki, let's just jump right in with that story. Can you share with our listeners, I alluded to it a little bit, but can you share what happened to you in the span of only a few years and how that season was for you?
1: Yes, it, it all began with the diagnosis of my mom to small cell aggressive lung cancer. And she passed away. And then six years later, my sister Jo passed away from the same cancer, lung cancer. And those two are really, really brutal cancers. And just six weeks after saying goodbye to Joe, I was diagnosed. Mine wasn't lung cancer like theirs. They had found a five centimeter tumor about the size of a double stuffed Oreo stuffed where the sun doesn't shine. I had rectal cancer. And as you can imagine, my world just fell apart. It
0: really did. Absolutely. I mean, already so much grief. And then I can only imagine that fear of um, finding out that you had cancer yourself. Can you just kind of explain where your mindset was, how you navigated those first few weeks after your diagnosis? Mm, I mean, when you
1: get a diagnosis like that, especially hot on the heels of such grief and loss, you know, I felt like the family heat seeking missile of death had locked in on me. It was as if it had locked it in on my right. end, and I was, oh. I was leave. yeah, I was going to leave my kids as orphans. Um, you know, I, as far as we were all concerned, people who got cancer died and died quickly. Right. And so, you know, I'm trying to hang on to God, but quite honestly, I was mad at him. You know, we're church planters. We had come across the pond from England to plant our church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was like, God, after all I've done for you, are you kidding me? And so there was this back and forth of trying to trust him and find his peace. And at times I did, but it was, it was a whirlwind. It really, really was. But you know, as I say in the book, I'm hardy by name, hardy by nature. And I'm a Brit. I've got a stiff and perfectly bleached upper lip. And I (laughs) was determined to survive. And so kind of, I just hunkered down and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But as you can imagine, and, and anyone who's been through this kind of thing, there's chemo, there's radiation, there's surgery, there's more chemo. And by the end of it, surviving was all I was doing.
0: Yes. I think, um, anytime you face so many treatments and physical ailments, it just, it wears you down and the constant Mm. pain and the constant, not feeling well, you know, even the person who starts out with the best intentions of I'm going to do this, um, can get worn out and can get weary. And, um, it, you know, it to fall into that uh, merely surviving kind of mindset.
1: Anyone who has been through anything, it doesn't have to be a cancer diagnosis. You know, it can be Mm. looking after aging parents or, um, you know, having teenagers who you're worried, you know, getting into drugs or you've got young kids Mm. or you've got depression. We get into this survival mode. And it's like, if I can just get through it, if I can just keep my head above water. So it's anything really.
0: Yes, and I can attest to that, you know, and I just had tears rolling down my face um, as I started out your book, because I had a, a span of a few years with a lot of health issues that completely crippled me. And I for two years felt like I just barely survived and every day just uh, lived to see another day. But that was it. I just had hit mm-hmm. bottom. And so your book just really resonated with me Uh, remembering that place. You do such a good job of um, being so honest and so vulnerable. And I remember too, the story about, um, you know, cause it doesn't just affect you. It's, it's like your family too, you know, they have to process Mm. and they have to deal with it. And I remember that section in your book about your boys or, or your kids, when you broke the news, how to them, cancer was a scary thing because it did mean death. Yeah. And so was was it hard for your family, too, during this season? Were they was everybody kind of in survival mode? I think a little bit.
1: I think a little bit. Yes. I mean, my poor husband, you know, was a church leader <laughs> where a church plant didn't yes. have a, a, a big church staff. Um, And he's holding it together with the kids. He's holding it together at church. He's trying to be strong for me. You know, it it all happens. And and then, you know, as I talk about later on in the book, uh, us all holding it all together is actually quite divisive because what we really need to do is let each other into our pain and be vulnerable yes. with each other.
0: Yes, absolutely. So how did this idea then of thriving, not just surviving, take hold with you?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting story, actually, because um, you know, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you're immediately called a survivor. I thought you were a survivor once you were done and you were in remission, but apparently you get called a survivor the moment you're diagnosed. But then I kept meeting people who called themselves cancer thrivers. And I was like, oh, I like the sound of that. It sounded so hopeful. It was like yes. surviving's you know, hope-filled cousin. It was enticing it, and <laughs> yes. um, at the same time, I, you know, and as I was railing at God, I was like, "I thought you came to give us abundant life. Where the heck is it? You know?" And I know you said there yes. be storms, but why? You know, they, it seemed like they were separated in time and space, and um, and so when I met these thrivers, as it, it was as if those two verses, John 10, 10, and John 16, 33, aligned. And it was like, no, you can have abundance right in the middle of the mess. It was like they weren't denying that their life was hard and really hard, but they were jolly well gonna grab the most out of it while they could. And that was just so enticing to me.
0: Oh, I love that so much. And then you really did, pick that up and run with it, which I love. And one of the things that you point out is that often there are some lies that we believe and most of the time it's not even on purpose. It's on accident. Mm. But when we receive a diagnosis like this, uh, there's some lies we believe that get in the way of us realizing that abundance. So what are some of those lies you identified that get in the way of us being able to see that abundance? Mm,
1: Gosh, there are so many of them. It's it's so frustrating. There are lies we believe about ourselves, and there's a psychologist called Martin Seligman that's done a, a huge amount of research into people who um, have survived trauma and what makes us what holds us back from thriving within that and resilience. And he talks about um, personalization and pervasiveness. And permanence. This idea that yes. my life's always going to be terrible. It's all my fault, and every single part of my life is affected. So that so there are lies about ourselves, but then there are lies about God as well. Like He's angry. He doesn't care. He's off. You know, with with more spiritual people who annotate their Bibles and don't swear at their kids on the way to church. You know, there's all <laughs> this stuff that we. Think about God. That's just rubbish. Yes. It's rubbish. Yes. we when life is hard and we're at our lowest, we believe it.
0: That is so true. I resonated with that part so much. And you know, hindsight's 2020. 20, and now that I'm out of it, I can see that there are lies, but at the time it felt very real. Um and it was mm. very debilitating to me. So I I really appreciated that section of it just brought clarity to me about what was happening during that time of my life. So I think that's just brilliant. In the book, you unpack seven practical ways that we can grasp a full life in the midst of pain. And I think these are wonderfully helpful. But one thing you do is you emphasize that these are seven practices. Why do you do that?
1: Well, I started off calling them tools because I wanted to be super practical and it felt like I needed something to grab hold of and use. And although I still love that, the reason I went for practices is it was kind of this yoga term. Then what I love about it is that it we have to accept where we are right now, that it's a journey, and there are you know we might take two steps forward and one step back but it's still um, progress. And it's this sense of, um, you know, not comparing yourself to somebody else. I think it's just a little more grace-filled for ourselves (laughs) and being willing to work on it as a journey as opposed to, I've got this tool, I'm going to bash the nail in, and then wham, bam, we're done. I'm good to go.
0: (laughs) Yes, and as a recovering perfectionist, I really appreciated that because for me, I would... um, have tended to say, okay, I'm going to do these seven things and then it's going to be perfect and I'm going to be fine. But it's more like, these are the seven things you try to do and remind yourself and keep doing to help. It's it's more of like a mindset. So I love that. I love that there's grace involved.
1: I wish I could have written the kind of seven steps to a perfect life and do these seven (laughs) things each morning and your life will be happy, skippy and healthy and wealthy but it's just yes. not like that you know right.
0: unfortunately yes so just i i don't want you to have to give away the whole book but can you just share one or maybe two of the practices just to give our listeners a little taste of of what your seven uh, practices are do you want to just share one of course
1: one? yeah no okay. I, don't, I i'm happy to share them all i mean okay. these are You know, top line, this is the what to do, but if you want to know how to do it and the practicalities of diving deep into it and hear the stories of other thrivers and often forgotten women of the Bible, you know, people will have to to go to the book for that. But um, my first practice is choose brave. The idea that um, we need to be brave, but we think it's often needs to be huge, but it doesn't need to be huge. It just needs to be intentional. And then, of course, we need to trust God, you know, because he's got impeccable credentials and then find community, because I truly believe thriving is a team sport. And then, like I said before, we need to be vulnerable because this stiff upper lip still needs chapstick (laughs) and embrace the journey. You know, we so want to kind of so often. Where I am is the last place I want to be. But if we're going to find God's abundant life right now, we've got to embrace the journey, even the detours and the diversions and the dead ends. And then number six is practice gratitude. You know, God tells us to give thanks in all things. And when we do, that's when we find the rubies in the rubble. Um, And then lastly, to reach out and then it might just save us, not drain us. So those are the those are the seven, choose brave, trust God, find community, be vulnerable, embrace the journey, practice gratitude, and reach out.
0: I love those, it, it's, you lay it out so wonderfully and so beautifully in your book, it's so helpful. So I would just really encourage people, if this resonated with you at all, to please just check out this book, Breathe Again, to get more in depth on those seven steps. Uh, Within it, in the trust, so step one, brave, practice number two, trust, you have a five-step plan for trusting God. Would you be willing to detail for that uh, for us a little bit more? Yeah, sure. The reason I
1: had a plan was (laughs) because I found that good intentions are all very well until life falls apart. You know, when life's good, we're like, yeah, I'm going to trust God all my life. Why wouldn't I? Because, you know, I can see him in every rainbow and every good thing that happens. And then life falls apart and, you know, our good intentions go by the wayside. And so I developed this five-step plan with the idea of planning to trust and then trusting the plan. (laughs) So The first thing I do is I check out God's credentials. You know, you and I, we're not going to hire a plumber without checking out his credentials. So let's check out God. Is he trustworthy? And when we figure out that he is and we can read stories in the Bible, we can talk to our friends who seem to be able to trust him. We can read memoirs of amazing um, Christian people that have gone before us. Um, And that builds our our trust levels and our hope and our expectation. And so when we've done that, you know, we can ask him for help. We think we have to be able to trust him all by ourselves, but I really believe, you know, his spirit comes to strengthen us and it can strengthen our ability, our desire to trust him. So we can ask for his help and then we need to choose to hold on to him. It really is a choice um but at the same time we have to let go because i can't choose to hold on to god and trust him if i'm choosing to hold on to my own strength and abilities or my control issues or or even the doctors or you know my money or whatever else it might be and so i kind of talk about it as a seamless letting go of one thing and and holding on to to god and then lastly, keep a record. Because when I keep a record of all the little things where I see God be trustworthy, that starts to build this trust bank. And I can look to that in my journal or wherever it is, when I think, well, I need to trust God. And so I can look at his credentials, number one, back again, <laughs> full circle, at yes. those times he's come through in my life. And and i I record the small things as well as the big things, because they stack up and he's present in the small things just as much as the big.
0: Yes. And I love this part. And I got to tell you, I made a little post-it note and I put it inside my Bible because I trust God. But when really big stuff goes wrong and we've had our fair share of it, um, for some reason I just falter. And you know, my husband, he's got, Mm. I always tell him he's got the gift of faith and he holds steady and it doesn't matter what happens. He's like, God is good and we're going to be fine. And, and I uh, tend to panic just a little bit more. Um, Mm. But I loved this because it was just practical things I could do because I, it's, it's a plan. Like you said, trust, make the plan and then trust the plan. And Mm. it's a plan for helping me remember that I trust God when I'm in panic mode. So I, I love that. I think it's so wonderful. Thank you so much for playing that out.
1: Oh, you're one, welcome.
0: I just, I love it. Um, I want to talk about one more important aspect, um, with our readers about thriving during difficult times. And then I remember reading in the book that initially you weren't as vulnerable and you didn't reach out, f- uh, for help from other people that you kept that stiff upper lip. You know what, let's go into that just a little bit more. Why was that and what changed your mind about community?
1: Yes, this is the bit where I'm like, I lay out all the horrible, ugly stuff and I'm like, well, it's out there now, everyone's gonna know. (laughs) Um, Yes, despite being an extrovert who kind of has never met a silence she can't fill, I am not a huge, community person. I love my family and my friends and I love meeting people. But the thought of community when it came to my cancer was quite scary for me. And what I talk about in the book is this kind of balance between being afraid of it because I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to get to know and like and love people um, in the cancer community, who um, were, quite frankly, more likely to die than anyone else. You know, I'd had enough grief in my life, and I didn't want any more. So there was that part of it. But there was also some arrogance. It's horrible to say, but I was like, I don't need anyone else. I'm fine. I'm not one of them, you know, those weak people who get sick, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't think that yes. about my mom or my sister but you know our brains do funny things and so there's part of me that just stayed clear of the whole cancer community and colorectal cancer doesn't come with a pretty pink bow ours is a strong blue and I didn't want to be you know walking the streets with a blue tutu and all that kind of thing but then I realized that I couldn't do it alone. I needed not just my family and friends who had kind of rallied with the speed of you know, a crash cart in the ER, but I needed people who got it, who understood what it was like to wear an ostomy bag and have it leak in Target or to know what it was like to go through radiation on your bottom or all these different things. And my friends were wonderful and they were there for me but they had sympathy, not empathy. And we need both. And so now I am, you know, much more community minded because thriving is a team sport.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's, it is just, it, I feel like going through hardship reveals where we have lack of humility and,
1: Mm. um,
0: I feel like the the sicknesses that I've gone through have very have been very purifying for me in that area of learning how to be vulnerable and learning how to talk about things like what's happening that where the sun doesn't shine with other people, even though it's humbling. And I just I want to tell you, thank you for how you address that in your book. And you just you so freely talked about it and. Um, made it so that I could laugh about it. And I I think you do a really good job of just making it okay to talk about uncomfortable things. And I know I just really appreciated that. Yes. One of the last things that I loved about the book was the Thriver's Manifesto. It's amazing. And at the end of every chapter, she writes another little part to this manifesto that we can read over our lives and it helps us to practice practice speaking life in the midst of pain. It's so powerful. And I'm not going to give it away because I, it's one more awesome reason to go get this book, Breathe Again. But I read it out loud and I had tears in my eyes. It it will make a difference. There's so much power in speaking life and over it. And so I just wanted to also just point out and say that that Thrivers Manifesto is awesome. <laughs>
1: Thank you. And what I'm so excited about is my publisher has let me um, give it away. So when you get the book, there is a um, there's a website link where you can go and put in your email, and I'm allowed to send it to you along with all sorts of o- other goodies and pieces, yes. bits and pieces that I talk about in the book. Whether it's the Life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full printable. I've got a Breathe Again playlist, The Five Steps to Trusting God. You can download that in a little infographic kind of thing. And then there's an audio of the love letter from God that's in there as well. And so I love it that they were allowing me to you know, give it away into people's inboxes.
0: Yes, it's amazing. And it's just so helpful. And one of the, you know, legs of my podcast is making spiritual things practical. And I really appreciated Mm. that about your book is that it doesn't just stop at the book, but there are practical resources available once you have the book to help you walk through this and walk it out. And I just thought that was Mm. awesome. Before we go, um, I ask most of my listeners this and it's okay if, if you don't have a favorite verse, but do you have a favorite verse or a life verse that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Well. I'd be a fool if I didn't say it It was I have come that you might have life and life to Mm. the full because I just think he's always saying there is more I have more for you no matter what life looks like it's like he's saying come on let's go why settle for anything else
0: oh so fitting so true I love it okay again listeners her name is Nikki Hardy N-I-K-I H-A-R-D-Y, and her book, Breathe Again, How to Live Well When Life Falls Apart, is available. You can go visit her website if you want more at NikkiHardy.com, and I just really encourage you to pick up this book. It's going to change your life. Nikki, would you be okay if we just pray for you and for God to use this book before we close? I would love that. Thank you. Wonderful. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time with Nikki. Thank you, Lord, for the story that you have written in her life. And Lord, even though I know that it has been a painful road for her, it is obvious that your spirit is in her and you are working this out for your good. So Lord, I thank you. I ask that you would use this book to show others your love and your truth and your abundance. I ask that it would make a difference. Lord, I ask that you would be with Nikki as she continues to walk out her story. And Lord, I just ask for the people that would read this book, that their hearts and their minds would be open to stepping into an abundance. Lord, I just thank you so much in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for taking time to be on our podcast today. What a treat to listen to you. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It's been wonderful to be here.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mint. I hope you were inspired by what you heard and that you were able to glean some practical next steps to help you run the race of faith. Living according to God's truth isn't easy, but it's so worth it. Let's do this faith journey together. I invite you to join us next time by subscribing to the Mint podcast so that you don't miss an episode. As always, I love hearing from you, so please visit my website, amintageisler.com, and leave me a comment, a prayer request, or a follow-up question, and I will get back to you. In addition, my site is full of resources that are practical and useful, like my blog, the newsletter, downloadable resources that are free, and opportunities to make a difference in the community. Don't forget to subscribe to my email list so that you can be notified when new materials and opportunities become available. Mint Podcasts are directed by Annie Ramirez and are technically directed by Logan Bush. We are a production of Reckless Abandoned Ministries, an organization that is insanely focused on loving God and loving others. We are passionate about helping to eliminate youth hunger and homelessness, and we invite you to join us in giving love away to those who need it most. If you want to support the work we do here on the Mint Podcast, you can like and share your favorite episodes with your friends, leave a review on the Apple Podcast app, Or share a screenshot on Instagram or Facebook and link it up with the Mint website.